my article, you know, financial journalism from a financial perspective is a bit under pressure. Uh, there's not a lot of money in media. So a lot of publications rely on uh, press releases to fill up the news columns and uh, that can sometimes lead to over-optimistic uh, reports on very important issues. Yeah, and the important issue that you do cover in this uh, in this column, and you know, Magnus, before we talk about the issues, man, where did you learn how to write? Well, that goes back many years, like you and I, uh, in Durham-Fontein days, when uh, you either sink or swim as a candidate journalist, you either you either started uh, writing better or you, you got booted. So that goes back a very long time. You know, my, my – se- Thanks for the, the compliment. No, uh, no man, the way I did it was I thought, okay, now let me write for people who don't – actually understand this financial world, which um, honestly, when I started off uh, 20 years old, a kid who'd only done a year at university, clearly I didn't know a whole lot of the financial world. So I was trying to learn as I went along. And it actually worked for me to keep it nice and basic and simple. And I have continued to do that probably, or hopefully I have. But you, you've you got this lovely style and anybody picks up Magnus's uh, copy, you can read it, you can you can understand it. The same when we talk about these things. Well, thanks again, Alec. As you're saying, going back in time, I mean, the financial world was sometimes, I think, deliberately made very complex and you had to be smart and use very long words. But most people never understood what uh, what they were trying to say. So I think the basic philosophy was to keep it very, very simple. And I think to, to a large extent, going back, maybe I was influenced by writers like Ernest Hemingway. I mean, Ernest Hemingway, wrote beautiful prose, but in very, very simple language. And uh, so, you know, perhaps from that perspective, one, 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 you always ask yourself, does the average person understand what I'm trying to say? Should I use a shorter sentence than a long sentence? And uh, I suppose that's come, come, come from then. Brilliant. Okay, let's get into this piece of yours. You start off with a quote from Professor Mark Swilling of Stellenbosch University School for Public Leadership. And then, Explain how South Africa has not been a great place to have your money over the past decade. Where we, I don't think anybody can disagree with that. Maybe we should unpack that. Why, why has that been so? We put it all down to Zuma? No, not at all. I mean, in fact, it started around about the same time as when Zuma came to power, but it was, it was, uh, the global conditions, the, uh, the, the, the very sharp downturn in the commodity cycle in 20, uh, 2012, 2013. If one goes back, the commodity cycle fell off a cliff and, and it has stayed there since then. And then even in those days, uh, people like Muletsu Mbeki warned that this could be the start of our problems if the Commodity cycle stays where it is, and that's exactly what happened because that's got a, a, a dramatic effect on our balance of payments, what we earn in, the, in, in, in what we earn in foreign currency, employment, and, and new investments. So that started well before Zuma, but it was it was exasperated by by, by Zuma and, and state capture and and. Uh, and what we've seen since then and the bad policy decisions. And, and to summarize what I'm trying to tell you, when Zuma came to power around about thereabouts, there, we were riding the, the crest of a fantastic commodity boom. 
The money was pouring in. Revenue was being collected. It was a fantastic time. And I think the, re- the leaders just misread how the cycle and the downturn in the commodity cycle is going to impact on the economy. And hence, our, our public wage, wages just exploded. Our budget deficit just exploded. And the government kept on spending as if there was no tomorrow. And, and they were not reacting to the, 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 the financial implications of the downturn in the commodity cycle. Yeah, and overlay corruption and uh, mismanagement and policy uncertainty. And, well, we have what we have. But I guess where we diverge, you and I, I'm a South African bull. I'm a real bull on this country. I think that, uh, that Ramaphosa, and I'm not just, uh, just, just pulling this out of my hat, just uh, by way of background. We do a few audio books. I did one on R.W. Johnson in 2015. Um, how long will South Africa or will South Africa survive? That I'm sure you remember that book, Magnus. It was yes, indeed, a, of course, a, still have it. Yes, heavy book. But uh, R. W. Johnson is a giant and a, a great intellect. And we've got the right to do Anthony Butler's biography on Sora Maposa, which has just been republished and updated for the first time in ten years. So, what I'm doing at the moment is voicing that. And when you voice something. You have to be sure because it's there for it's it's there forever. Uh, it's like writing a piece that goes into a book. Make sure that you don't make any mistakes, grammatical mistakes, and if you do, we'll go back and fix them. And doing it that way, you tend to absorb a lot. And this is a this is a serious guy that we've got who's running the country, um, a serious guy who's in control, and and somebody who understands the way that the global economy works and who can. Almost, he, he manages to get every, all sides. He brings all sides together. So I'm quite confident that that hundred million, hundred billion dollars that Ramaphosa has been talking about bringing into the country, that he's actually going to do it and he'll get some from China, some from the West, some from the Middle East, some from Europe, uh, which, and from countries that otherwise wouldn't really want to go where the other goes. But he's got this amazing knack. Maybe I'm being sunshine journalist. Maybe I'm talking with a uh, with with that glass half full kind of approach, but you see things differently. I think you know I I I hear what you're saying, and I I'm ready to be a bull at the first signs of concrete changes in the country, and I'll be the first. And I say to my column, I can only react to what uh, the indicators and the metrics are telling me. And I'll be the first guy to say, now is the time to be bullish on South Africa. I'm firm, I'm, I'm, I'm firmly committed to South Africa. You know, I'm here. All five of my kids are still in the country. I must be one of the few, uh, middle-aged South Africans who still has all his kids and his grandkids around him, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah. And lucky, man, lucky I, man. I think the other, the guys listening to this are saying, hmm, yes, Mr. Hestek, you haven't got any problems. <laughs> I, I, I don't have any problems, but, you know, I look at the metrics and, and I'm, I'm, I'd like to see a first concrete sign of that Ramaphosa is now in power and that he is changing the ANC from within. And you might ask, what are these first signs? Well, and I think I'm voicing uh, a, a call from a great number of people when they say, we'd like to see some people end up in in an orange overalls very, very soon. Then that will be the first concrete steps that we are moving into the right direction. And so that's, that's the first sign that I'll be waiting for. And we've had 
a scattering of people here and there being brought before court, but we need to see a massive clampdown on these people who clearly have been benefiting from crime and corruption and bribery, etc. So you want to see some orange onesies, <laughs> somebody described it the other day. Something mm. like that. You know, that will be the first sign. Secondly, we, we need to, as, as ordinary South Africans, we need to know that, that who's really in charge of the ANC. Is it Cyril Ramaphosa or is it the Ace Magashula camp um, that, that keeps on saying that, and he said it over the weekend, that the whites are still in charge of everything and we're coming what is ours and we're going to take back the land, we're taking back the Reserve Bank, we're nationalizing the Reserve Bank. Now, those kind of pronouncements coming from the Secretary General of the ANC goes around the world and the foreign investors read these things and they listen to these things and they say, well, we're going to sit on our hands until there is clarity who is actually running the ANC. But isn't that, isn't that the time of opportunity? If you can see through the noise... Think of, of, of the, the evidence that we're seeing increasingly. Think of, I mean, really, Ace Magashuli in the one corner, Sarah Mapose in the other corner. It's a no contest. It's a no contest, Magnus. When you go back and what they've done over the past years, you know, we forget these things. And I, I picked this up from Anthony's book. When he was 29 years old, Ramaphosa went into an industry that could not get unionized. It was after the time of Vihan and Rickett. And he managed to build the NUM, uh, after many others had failed, people like Mosmaya Kiso, if you, you recall at that stage, he was very yes, strong in, yes, in metals, yeah. but, but Ramaphosa could do it. And that was when he was 29. He's now 65. He's a, he's a heavyweight in the local context and probably from a global perspective as well. And that's, that's where I would be putting my money or having a look at it and saying, okay, we've got these two guys in, in opposite corners. Who's going to win? If, I, if I'm prepared to back the guy who I think is going to win, then surely you look at South Africa and you say, okay, um, we have been, uh, we've been discounted for disaster. Perhaps the time is to, is to open up a little bit towards this market. But anyway, I, I mean, you're dealing with people's, you are dealing with other people's money. You can't gamble with it. I, I, that's, that's very, very valid point. You know, well, I have to look at the risk and the reward. And, and if the metrics start changing, I'll, I'll, I'll start changing my strategy. But, South Africa, the last couple of years, has been a high-risk country. And, and, and funny enough, our local bond yields have been very, very attractive, for even for South Africans. With inflation at 4 or 4.5% and your bonds at 9 or 8.5%, you're getting a real return of 4 to 5%, which historically has been phenomenal. Mm. So well, that, for the timing, still is the strategy. And uh, while the, we see the bloodletting in, the, um, in, in in the stock market, not a not a bad place to be. There will be a time, no question. There will be a time, as we all know, that markets overshoot and undershoot all the time. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in the big markets or the small markets. I think our market is in 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 this definitely in the stage where it's very close to overshooting and a bit of panic, and there might be some great opportunities in the next couple of weeks or so. But one still needs to be very very careful.